Well, the NBA playoffs are here, and boy, oh boy, has it been fun. Luka Doncic, what a performance. Followed up from an amazing performance itself, the Dallas Mavericks, up two to nothing on the LA Clippers. Surprising that that wasn't the national spotlight, but there's another thing going on over in Phoenix, where the Suns gave it their all despite having Chris Paul laboring around with a bad shoulder. Anthony Davis, boy, oh boy, he really stepped up to the plate. LeBron James stepped up to the plate. Andre Drummond stepped up to the plate. And the Lakers have now evened that series up at one apiece. The game before both of those was really a snoozer. Brooklyn Nets just absolutely going scorched earth on the Boston Celtics. Joe Harris, seven threes. Man, that one looks like it's, it's over before it got started. But we still do have game threes to go, and we all know what saying is in the playoffs. A series does not start until we've been to both home stadiums. What's up, guys? Keeping it at 94. Playoffs are here. Brian, what's going on? I'm a little tired today. I'm a little punchy, as you know. I could take everybody a little bit behind the curtain. I have uh, another job that I do during the day. Um, for a little while now, I my shift has changed, and I have to uh, be at work no later than 5.30 in the morning. And let me tell you something. Being an NBA fan on the East Coast, that can be tough. Being a Lakers fan on the East Coast with playoff basketball can be very tough because there's some things I can slide on a little bit. I can watch the next day. I can catch the highlights. I can go back. I can watch the games. There is something paranoid in me that will not let me sleep during the Laker game, no matter how damn late it is and how early I have to get up the next morning. So for the second time in a week, I am on three hours of sleep. The only difference is this time I'm recording a podcast on three hours of sleep. So there's that. I'm going to say something right now. It sounds like you have more energy than ever, though. So it's almost like you're overtired and your body is like, wow, I'm bringing some extra energy right now, even though your mind not be, might not be there, but you're physically here. I can't wait to see the garbage that comes out of my mouth today. But yeah, I think I'm at that point in my day where I've kind of gone through this up and down where it's like earlier, maybe I had a little bit of time to rest, but I didn't do it and instead walked around. And I kind of know, like, if I make it through this and the other things I have to do after this, because it's not like, hey, podcast and you're done. Oh, no, no. There's more things to do on a Wednesday afternoon first. But then there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And just in the meantime, you know, we've got, we've got business to handle, including this podcast. Yes, yes. And boy, oh boy, I wish I, wish I could see a, if you had some long hair or something. I, right now, I would imagine that it'd be like going everywhere. <laughs> and just you have bloodshot eyes and just this horrible look on your face of, of just disdain. But we're going to keep it light. We keep it 94 here. Part of the basketballnews.com podcast network, by the way. So let's lift your spirits a little bit. Let's talk about that Laker game against the Suns and uh, just kind of the results 
and the the feel and the intensity that that game brought in order to get it back to Staples Center as a split. That was a pretty amazing game, too. I mean, the series overall has been really, really interesting. Even in game one, where the Suns win 99 to 90, and the game was right there for LA to steal. If you look at like how bad they shot in that game, I mean, all they had to do is hit a couple more threes and a couple more free throws, and they would have stolen that game, even as bad as they played. And then on Tuesday night, they're up by 15 in a game where Chris Paul is not playing that much. It's obvious that he's hurt, which really sucks. So once again, Chris Paul is injured in a playoff series and the Suns, you know, have incredible chemistry. They've been this gritty team all year and they're able to put together a run and they make the Lakers have to sweat out a victory. They literally have to go and dig deep where LeBron and AD go on this 7-0 run late in the game to seal it. And it, it took a lot for the Lakers to win it, you know, they're still kind of coming together. They're still figuring out their rotations. We saw that even in game two, where there's no Montrez Harrell and Marcus soul actually plays a good chunk. They even dusted off Markeith Morris for a few minutes in the first half. And um, the Lakers are still playing around with different things and um, they had to work for it. And now they've got a split and they're going back to the Staples center. But um, I wouldn't take anything for granted because Say what you will about Phoenix, even without Chris Paul. This is a team that defends. They're playing hard. They've got good chemistry. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, they put together their their best effort, and then now L.A. is starting to come together a little bit more, and they can, you know, kind of uh, take care of the Suns, I guess, a little bit easier if they're going to win these games. But I, I don't think anything is for granted. And for people that think that, I believe that LA is just going to um, have a cakewalk against Phoenix. I do not believe it. I, I don't believe it till I see it. No. And the maturity is what's really sticking out about me. And we were talking about this on spaces last night, me and Alex uh, on Twitter, just the maturity that, that this team has had, has had uh, so far in these playoffs is just a testament to the job that Monty Williams has done. I feel like the young guys are growing up pretty fast. You look at Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton once again coming out and being very productive and efficient. Um, 17 of 17 from the line for Booker last night, by the way. Uh, but they're, they're going to just need to have to continue to dig down because if Chris Paul continues to have this, this shoulder stinger injury, he's not going to be able to shoot the, the elbow jumpers that he's accustomed to making. He's not going to have the juice on the passes that he's trying to make out out to the perimeter. So you're going to need someone else to step up. Who was that in game two? It was campaign campaign. The, the way that he ended the first half with six points and four assists. And most of those were just, you know, high handoffs to Deandre Ayton, who was ready for the, for the alley-oops, but campaign, I'm telling you, man, in that fourth quarter and even some of the third quarter, when he's turning the corner, none of the Laker defenders could keep up with him. It was crazy. He was getting right to the rack. He was shooting threes long distance. He was getting other guys involved. Nice drive and dumps into the uh, inside campaign. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain this, especially if Chris Paul is going to be playing, you know, deteriorating minutes, but we know that he's got it in him now. And you can say the same for guys like 
Cameron Johnson, who played big minutes. Uh, Jay Crowder finally, uh, you know, sort of stayed out of foul trouble yesterday, and his his imprint on the defensive end was felt. Still can't quite find the mark from three. I was I was a little disappointed in, uh, you know, Mikel Bridges' offensive input. He wasn't nearly aggressive enough. He was kind of just kind of staring there in their corner, uh, not taking enough shots. He only took six uh, last night, and he's fully capable and healthy. So that's that's kind of a disappointment. Uh, but that's an, again that that's the youth that comes into play uh, with the Suns. But the way that they've executed and the way that they've kept it at a pace to their advantage, as long as they're not turning the ball over. They're in this series and noticed when they did turn the ball over, when Lakers cranked up the intensity on the defensive end, got deflections. I can't tell you how many times I saw Andre Drummond get his hands on the ball. Uh, Contavious call up Pope, even though he was not good at all on offensive end, got into a number of passing lanes, LeBron James, uh, Alex and I were talking about it. It was the, the anticipation that they had when the Suns were swinging the ball out on the perimeter. And then it was easy for the Lakers to get out and transition and take advantage of those. So that's the story of the series so far. And I mean, when you look at the flip side, you just talked about it, but Anthony Davis, that the, the turning point of that game came for me when he rejected uh, Deandre Ayton at the rim. And basically he, he didn't just reject it. He like grabbed the ball out of, out of the air and then started a uh, fast break the other way. He hit a big time three, uh, he was in attack mode the whole way, uh, you know, got to the line quite a bit, you know, having 34 points and 10 boards on, on 15 shots is, is pretty incredible. And that's one heck of a response and something that he said he wanted to make a statement. I think when you look at the Suns, the thing that really impresses me so much, especially with the limited amount of time and what they're getting out of Chris Paul because of that injury is just how level-headed that they are. When you look at the box score, you would sit there and go, oh, campaign. He only shot six of 15. He had 19 points. He had seven assists. But it's when he got the points. It's when he was able to put together a run. Same with, like, Cam Johnson. Like you said, he had a couple big threes late in the game. So it's the timeliness of everything as well. And like I said, they made the Lakers have to work. They made them have to put together a late run. And I know a lot of people are sitting going, well, now LA can feel a little bit better. They're going home. The series is tied. You know, maybe things are starting to come together a little bit more chemistry wise. You can see that slowly, but surely, I think they're trying to tighten up the rotation. Um, we didn't mention Dennis Schroeder either. Dennis Schroeder was huge. Right. Uh, especially Schroeder, in that first half. He had 24 points in that game. You mentioned Drummond finally came for a game. I mean, everybody wondered like what kind of adjustments Frank Vogel going to make? Is he going to change his starting lineup? Is he going to put Gasol in there? Is they, are they going to go smaller and go with AD at center? And he said, no, I'm going to keep the same starting lineup. It's just Drummond played better. Uh, I'll tell you this. I am surprised Taylor Horton Tucker even left the bench. I thought that he, his minutes would be gone. Um, other guys would get that like Wes Matthews. I thought Kuzma would get a few more minutes and Kuzma did get a couple more minutes, but as much is the Lakers needed that win and they got it and they got a big effort by Anthony Davis, even though AD still shot less than 50% from the field, but he got to the line. He did his job. You got the late buckets by LeBron that, um, that they needed there. There's still some glaring holes when it comes to the Lakers, the biggest being their lack of three point shooting. And now you saw it in game two where Contavious Caldwell Pope Pope is, you know, exhibit number one of I'm done. I don't want to shoot. I don't know where, like he missed a couple, he missed his shots in game one, game two, he missed the first couple. 
And then it got to a point where he was playing hot potato with it. There was literally a possession where he had passed up a couple of threes. They go down on the other end on defense and he goes in the corner and he's, I think they were on defense regardless, whatever end of the court they were on, he's in the corner and Dennis Schroeder is on the bench right there. And he's literally patting him on the back on the court going, you got to take that shot. You got to take that shot. You can make that shot. And then in the second half, it happens again, timeout and LeBron is going right over to him going, dude, you got to take that shot. You can't pass up that shot. And sooner or later, he's going to start hitting them. It's just, it's gotten to a point now where it's in his head a little bit. So he's not even shooting. He's looking to give the ball to other people. The other thing that kind of stands out to me too is as much of a big deal as it was, and LeBron hit some really big shots late. In the past, when his team really needed him to get a pick-me-up from them, when he needed to take over, he wouldn't necessarily do it from the perimeter, at least the way that he's done it so far. It's all fadeaways and, and whatnot. He would put his head down and he would get into the lane. He would just steamroll guys. We have not seen that in this series yet. And I'm not exactly sure why. I still wonder openly if his ankle is still bothering him. I mean, I it's pretty open. He's still recovering from, he's not a hundred percent, but I do wonder like, is it just his ankle? Is there something else going on? There's, you know, is his lower body not anywhere close to where he wants it, where he can't get that kind of spring when it comes to attacking the rim, because he has not attacked the rim when it comes to, we're in a half court set. I've got a smaller guy on me or somebody that's not as strong as me. And I am just going to put my head down and I am going to bully my way to the rim. And he has not done that at all this series. Yeah, I saw him. He had a mismatch. I think it might have been against campaign. It, it was. was one of the smaller guards. And he settled for a jumper. I was like, dude. <laughs> In the past, I mean, when, when the no, Lakers are dude, when, just put it on the floor yeah. or, or, you know, just back them down. I mean, it's so weird because like in the past, you would see a LeBron James team when they're like, all right, it's time for him to take over and he's going to do his thing. It's just like, he's just going to bowl over anybody. I mean, he's just going to, you know, his signature move where he goes into the lane and does the quick, you know, 360 around or whatever, you know, and, and tries to, you know, get a layup. He hasn't done that. He hasn't, he hasn't said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to get to the free throw line even like none of that. And We'll see where that is as the series goes on and the playoffs go on, because right now he's hit some shots late, which has been a good sign, but they've all been jumpers. And if he can't force his will on the teams like he has in the past, when it comes to getting in the lane and bullying people, that's going to be a big problem for this team. Well, yeah, you put pressure on the rim. You open things up for the shooters, even though they're not hitting the shots, it's still good looks. And you got to think that obviously AD can come in for cleanups Andre Drummond can come in for cleanups off of misses at the rim. So, but I mean, there's just a comfort factor that comes with knowing we've got LeBron James and when he wants to, he can get to the rim. He can bowl over anybody. He can overpower most guys and even the guys that he can't overpower. He'll go over or he will, you know, he'll still find a way to do it when it comes to getting an easier bucket or at least getting to the free throw line. And we haven't seen that tour de force that is LeBron James that we're used to. And and I think it can create a kind of a, a false sense of, okay, whenever there's a problem, we've got LeBron. You know, we've got the ultimate X factor that can bail us out of some problems or when it's time to turn on the Jets. And so far, 
they do not have that. And we'll have to see if that's something that's going to come later on as he continues to get uh, healthier and gets in more of a rhythm. Or is that something that he is just not able to do right now because he's got so many problems with his lower body? It might be both. I think I think it's more of the former. I think as the playoffs go on, we're going to see him get back to his regular self. He, he's And the funny part is he's still being clutch. But exactly, you know, that's that's all coming as a as a jump shooter uh, and that patented fadeaway. Uh, that's usually a dagger always comes into play. But let's talk about little brother at Staples Center um, who is having quite a bit of issues right now. Uh, that's the Clippers. We know that from the intro to this podcast that the Mavericks are up two to nothing. They have been on fire from three. They've made 35 of their 73s, Brian. It's ridiculous. It's Luca. It's Tim Hardaway Jr. It's Maxi Kleba. It's Christoph Porzingis, Josh Richardson, whoever, whoever wants to get in the party. They've made 50% of their threes. That's not, that is not a uh, recipe for success for this Clippers team. We know that they can score and we know that they can play defense, but for some reason, this Mavs team just gives them headaches. And maybe it's the matchup. Maybe it's just Luca be going to be that next superstar to whoever faces off against him in the playoffs. Can't, can't get past them eventually. I know they did in the bubble last season, but this, this is a, a big surprise to me. As you know, I had the Clippers coming out of the West and being in the finals. Uh, they have a lot of work to do in order to uh, make sure that that happens. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard's doing what he can. Paul George is doing what he can. Uh, but ultimately, it's Luka, whether he's getting doubled, whether he's taking it in, shrinking the defense and spraying it out, whether he's taking one-legged three-pointers, whether he's backing down smaller guards and just bullying them into the paint, fadeaway mid-rangers, whatever it is. And I wrote it in my article today on basketballnews.com. Any way you want it, Luka Doncic will give it to you. This is one of the reasons why when we talked about like what first-round matchups we are most intrigued by that I picked this series. And I... I thought the Mavericks could give them a very good series. I wasn't sure on who exactly I would pick to come out of this, but I thought it'd be a real dogfight. And there's been some pretty close games, but the Mavericks have been in control for, for most of these first two games. I mean, the Clippers have kind of hung around. The Mavericks haven't been able to blow them out, but they've been in control. I really haven't felt like they've been threatened in the second half of the games, quite honestly. Like, they've kind of had the upper hand. And it's all Luka. It is all Luca. It's like, I I think that like the Clippers are working on their, you know, plus minus scales and Luca's doing trig, you know, it, it's just like this advanced thing that he's doing on the court and the way that he is able to control these games. It's, it's been incredible to watch. And like he, his imprint is all over these things. And the Clippers just haven't been able to figure him out, which is, which is wild because when Kawhi and PG hooked up on the Clippers, everybody's like, well, these guys are going to shut everybody else down. 
Look at you got two of the best wing defenders in the game, and they are just going to lock down some of the best wings on other teams. And I don't know how anybody's going to defend them and everything. They have not been able to lock down the Mavericks. They have not been able to figure out Doncic. And even when they think that they got Luca, the other guys are hitting shots, especially uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. He has been so clutch in these games. Finney Smith has been hitting shots too. And, and the Clippers are just not getting enough support from the other guys, not named PG and Kawhi. They, they're not getting anything from Marcus Morris. They're not getting enough from Zubac. They, they just are not. And plus on top of that, one of the guys they gave big money to in the offseason, Luke Kennard, is not even playing. Yeah, he needs to be in the rotation. They need to try something there. I think that, you know, Nick Matum's made a, a, a solid difference, but you're right. The guys outside of the two stars uh, are not playing up to par. And I think Marcus Morris would tell you that off the rip. He needs to be better. And, and we saw him be such a factor in the first series against these guys. And we know, we know it got a little chippy too. Um, you know, with Zubats, I kind of feel bad because this is like the first time that we're seeing what you can expose with him. And if you're switching out with Vita Zubats outside on Luka Doncic, it's not going to work. Ryan, I have a crazy stat for you with Zubac. When he's defended Luka Doncic in two minutes and 42 seconds that he's been uh, hanging with Luka Doncic, Luka has scored 18 points on 7 to 12. Uh, that's a lot of points in less than two minutes and 46 seconds. That's a lot of points. Like, well, you know what? And one of the guys that you really thought was going to be a big contributor for the Clippers, you know, in the offseason and, and especially in the playoffs game was Serge Ibaka. And I don't know if he's still banged up or what's that's, going that's on. That's what I would, I would have to imagine that because he's Ibaka, played 19 minutes in two games. Ibaka was their starter for so long and his Zubats was coming off the bench. And then Zubac ended up earning the role because he really did earn the role. He was one of the best rim protectors in the league. He was a, a force inside, able to, you know, uh, you know, pass out to the, the perimeter when he had the ball. Like, Zubac was doing really good things. I just think his confidence might be shot because Luka is just cooking him. And maybe you try Serge Ibaka out there. Maybe you try going a little small ball. You know, maybe put Marcus Morris at the five. Uh, because he's able to switch, you know. Batum has done a solid job on Luka. Uh, that is the only one who has done anything of, of, of merit against Luka. Uh, the, the only person that's matched up with him outside of Terrence Mann, Terrence Mann's only guarded him for, for 11 seconds, so we're not going to count that. But in the four minutes and 16 seconds that Batum has guarded Luka, Luka's gone 0 of 1 and has turned the ball over twice. So... You know, I know that Nico Batum is not like in the prime of his career, but maybe more of that, maybe more Kawhi on Luca, even though, you know, sometimes it's not, it's not working to their favor. I think that the Clippers also just kind of need to trust whoever the person is guarding Luca, because if you shade anywhere near him, he is going to find the open man every time. And I know you want to get it out of his hands, but in a situation where, you have to trust the, the the individual matchup. You can't pull off of the other guys because it, it really is a pick your poison. You either guard the other guys or you send everything at Luca and hope the other guys don't beat you. But the problem is the other guys are beating you right now, and that's Tim Hardaway Jr. That's Maxi Kleba. That's Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, that is hard 
because you really are going to give up a ton of points if you continue to give the threes up like you have. And some of them were tough threes. Let's not, you know, be totally, you know, critical. But a lot of these uh, are mental mistakes just because they're shading a little too further uh, towards Luca or towards somebody else to, to give the Mavericks a good look. But just look at these games so far. Like game one, Kawhi Leonard, minus 15 on the plus minus. Paul George, a minus six. Game two, Kawhi, minus seven. Paul George, minus 18. It just tells you they are not getting it done defensively. That's what the Clippers have been able to get offense. They are not getting it done defensively. And late in games, once again, when they need to make that that surge, they need to make that push to say, we got to get, you know, we're, we're in this game, but now is the time when we really have to make a run if we're going to take this. And they are not making that run. And that's something we saw during the regular season as well. And I don't know where the answer is. It's not like... You know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard obviously are very good players. Neither one of them are vocal guns. It's not like you're going to have somebody out there that's going to be demonstrative, that's going to be, you know, rattling the cages a little bit, you know. You don't even get that from Rajon Rondo. He's more of a, I'm going to hold you accountable behind the scenes kind of a guy. And by the way, you want to see somebody that is ticked off right now. That's Rajon Rondo, and he's having a hard time hiding it even on the court, especially when they go to timeouts and whatnot. So I don't know what they they have to be able to come up with something here and it's just going to be we have just got to play harder especially on defense and we have to step up and this is the problem we've had with the Clippers that we saw despite all the problems last year in the bubble and that was a very unique situation and why some people still question them this year is do they have the mental toughness when the chips are down that they can step up and they can get the job done. They can, if they get punched, will they get up and will they throw a punch back? And the first two games of the series, they have not thrown that punch back. And now they're in trouble and they are down 0-2 and they are going to Dallas where it is going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. Fans are going to be going nuts. Lucamania is going to be running wild. You name it. And they have put themselves in this hole and now they have to fight out of it. Yeah. And I wonder if you read my article this morning because I said that the, the Mavericks threw the first two big right hooks. Um, and you're right. They haven't responded, the Clippers. And uh, you know what makes this even tougher is that this is Luca's first home playoff game, Brian. Yes. That, 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 I don't think anyone's talked about that yet. It's going to be hit. We saw him in the playoffs last year, but guess what? He, he didn't play in front of a crowd. This this is different. And there was a full crowd there in Dallas, right? Uh yeah, it's a, it's definitely a lot different than than Los Angeles. Well, yeah, because like in Los Angeles, they're raising it. And and remember, game three of that series, that's gonna be LeBron James and Anthony Davis first playoff games at home at Staples Center with a crowd there. Wow. As well. I didn't even think of that either. That's crazy. Yeah. But like just the differences in, in the, the the fan turnouts and I mean the Clippers just have their work cut out for them, man. Uh, and if you really want to know uh, what my, I don't want to say it's a solution, but, it, but a suggestion is to continue playing Terrence, man. Uh, he is young, full of energy. I know he's made, made some mistakes offensively, uh, but defensively he really can, can bring it. 
And I, I think that trying something different uh, wouldn't hurt. Uh, at you least try something. At least to see. At least to see. Well, I, I, you know, as, as much as great as Luca has played in this series and the way that he has been able to control this and just kind of have this, you know, harness on it and do what he wants. I, Tim Hardaway Jr. has played exceptionally well and he has been his yin to his yang, you know, in this series. Like, okay, you want to come off Luca or Luca, Luca needs a bailout guy? There's Hardaway and he's hit that shot more times than none. And even Porzingis came up with a big game in game two. You know, even, even Porzingis has been able to, to step up his play and make shots. That three um, hit with the 2K roll was hilarious. That was unbelievable. I, it was in the fourth quarter in a big spot, too. Yes. I can imagine just being the Clippers bench, just being like, are you effing kidding me? The, the dude got crossed <laughs> up. And made it into a, a gif earlier where everybody was laughing about how he needs, you know, leg replacement surgery and he's out there on roller skates and he just kind of laughs it off and he comes back and he hits a big shot later. And mind you, this is the same game where Luca at one point with Dirk Nowitzki there in the crowd watching from the sideline does the ode to Dirk. He did. It was the one-legged dude. I'm telling you, like, like, like I prefaced this, man. Any way you want it, Luca, will give it to you. By the way, Pat Mahomes was also in attendance, so that was pretty cool yeah. to see a champion. I'm gonna, like I'm gonna call that the OTD, the Ode to Dirk. The <laughs> OTD again. The OTD. All right, all right. I'm down with it. I'm down with it. But like I was saying too, with the Clippers, I mean, they figured it out defensively. They've been fine on offense. Like Kawhi's getting whatever the hell he wants. Uh, you know, Paul George is putting it on the floor. I, I have not ever been so proud of Paul George, uh, in, in realizing how effective he is when he takes it to the cup. Um, but they got to figure it out defensively. That's, Spencer, that's what it is. Kawhi scored 30 in the first half on okay. 14 shots. Yes. And I'm sitting there going, this dude is going to, oh, he's going to get at least 50. He can get whatever he wants. And I'm not saying, you know, that he necessarily had to do that. I mean, the problem's on the other end of the court. And you got 41. I mean, I'm not going to say, well, how do you only get 11 points in the second half? That's not where the problem is. The problem's on the other end of the court. Yep. And you can't, you can't give up 127 points. And, you know, the, the triumvirate of Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Josh Richardson are doing a pretty decent job on both of those guys, considering their offensive talents. Yeah. So, okay. Do you, maybe we should spend two minutes uh, maximum on Nets Celtics, but since it is, you know, one of the, the recent games, did you want to dig in on this series? We had a feeling that this would not be very, very good. I, what, the one thing I want to say is that Robert Williams in game one was tremendous and I enjoyed everything uh, and the potential uh, of seeing him defensively stopping guys like Kevin Durant and, and James Harden in their tracks uh, when they tried to get, you know, downhill and, you know, the blocks and, and the rebounds and the energy overall. I love Robert Williams. Uh, that's about the only thing I can take away from Celtics. That's a positive uh, other than Jason Tatum, obviously being Jason Tatum, but he got hurt yesterday. Uh, yeah. He got poked in the eye. Uh, so we'll, we'll see the, the severity of that eye injury, but, uh, you know, Brooklyn just basically using this as their preseason, if you can call it that, in the playoffs. It feels like that, too. And the Celtics just don't have enough firepower. And the Nets just can kind of, they can gauge when they really need to turn it on, you know. And it, it feels like, let's just kind of figure out everybody's nuances here and get used to each other on the court. You know, that 
they haven't, they're not even close to being like, we're pouring it on here. I mean, and this is one of those games too, in game two, where we both said like, Joe Harris is going to be loving this team so much come the playoffs. And this is why, because he had seven to 10 threes. He got open looks left and right, you know, in this game. And, you know, I, the nets are on such cruise control right now. And I know they're going to Boston. Like I said, the Celts just don't have enough firepower. It, it almost feels like a point like that one of two things is going to happen. Either the nets are going to say, all right, we're not fooling anymore. And we're just going to plow through you guys in this game. Or one of their big three is going to take a game off just so they can say it's for, you know, to rest, you know, like you do in the regular season. They're going to do that in the playoffs, you think? Yeah, and they're not even going to feel threatened. You know, it just just feels like that how much. Or, or, you know, guys are going to be like, I don't need to play. Like, I mean, nobody broke 30 minutes for the Nets in game two. And I really wonder if, like, somebody like Durant or Harden, especially like, do any of these guys really need to play more than, like, 24 minutes? I mean, we we could time manage these guys, right? And still win. Yeah, I it, mean, it sure feels like they can. Yeah, you may as well get someone like a DeAndre Jordan some reps, and you know, play guys like Tyler Johnson and Mike James and Alize Johnson, TLC. They can boost their minutes up to ten to fifteen. Uh, playing Lance and you know, Sham at twenty five minutes. I mean, come yeah. On. I I mean, it's. What I love too about the, the the way that this team has has started to gel, and I know it's just the Celtics, so we'll see what it looks like against the Bucks or the Heat. We'll get into that next, but you know the, the distribution of shots, I think, is uh, is wonderful, and that's a that's a coach's dream to see yeah. something like that. And they haven't even unleashed like, all right, James, take your guy. James has kind of been like dribble, dribble, dribble. Ah, here you go, Kyrie. You know, he's kind of been like that so far. They haven't unleashed him to go nuclear. They haven't had to. They haven't had to do that with uh, KD yet either. So, you know, like I said, I kind of think they're just spewing each other out when it comes to let's figure out we're all comfortable on the court since this is kind of like our preseason, like you said. And we'll get through this series. Let's make sure we're unscathed. Let's try to sweep them so we can get a little bit of rest and we'll be good to go for round number two. Yep. And just the 31 assists on 46 made field goals is that that's going to turn out to be a winner every time, mm-hmm. every, every time. So let's talk Milwaukee, Miami, because this one has caught a number of people off guard as well. Uh, I have many thoughts on this. I was asked if I was surprised. I said, yes, I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked. Okay. We've talked about this Bucks Heat series uh, for a while now because we had a feeling it was coming up the way that the standings were sh- were shaking, and we've gotten uh, a a much improved, a much more focused, a much more aware Bucks team, and Miami doesn't know what hit them. I mean, that game one was epic. Oh, and great that- game. That was and incredible. The Go Heat should and- have won that game the way the Bucks shot their free throws. Yeah. I mean, they they absolutely had an opening there. And they left the door open, and you go to overtime, and Middleton, you know, hits that shot. I mean, it was incredible to watch. What I tell coach- you, Brian, what I tell you, what is Drew Holiday going to do for both Giannis and Chris Middleton? I mean. That was going to take the pressure off of them. And look what happened. Chris Middleton calmly, coolly collected just over Duncan Robinson's outstretched arm. Boom. There goes game one. 
And then in game two, the Bucks just came out and shot lights out. I mean, and that's one of those things where like, what can you do about that? I mean, you're trying to defend. I mean, Bryn Forbes out there knocking that. Did he knock down his first five threes or something like that? I mean, it was ridiculous to to watch this happening. I mean, guys just knocking down shots left and right and people going crazy. And, you know, the, I mean, there was, there was one point where I think the Celtics got it back down to like 21. You're like, Oh, the bucks kind of, you know, letting their foot off the gas a little bit too much. And next thing you know, they're back up by 30, you know, it's just like, and I mean, that was just incredible to, to watch them pour it on. And I, I think it just goes to show where some of the deficiencies are for the heat right now. Like Tyler hero has not grown off of last season. He's been struggling. And when it comes to the wings overall for the heat, because they're having to rely on guys like, you know, Trevor Ariza for heavy minutes, and he has not been able to do anything on either end of the court. So far, same with Iguodala, and that's where the holes are for the Heat, and the Bucks have been able to easily exploit that and plus just have a game where they went bonkers shooting the ball. Here's where my concern lies, Brian. Uh, my observation through this game, watching Jimmy Butler, was I have never seen Jimmy Butler look to pass as much as he did when he got into the middle of the defense. Like, I'm used to seeing Jimmy attack, 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 pull up mid-range, pull up mid-range. He only took 10 shots yesterday. 10. 10 shots in a playoff game. I That's not the Jimmy I know. That is definitely not the Jimmy I know. It's not. And I, I think the Heat are feeling overwhelmed here. Like last year, it was like they were the ones that could really kind of out-tough everybody. And then they looking at what's going on right now. And it's, it's an uphill battle for them. I'm not saying they're going to get swept necessarily, but this is a different bucks team than what we saw last year. I mean, the, it's not just drew holiday, which is a massive, massive upgrade at point guard. And what the other things that he does overall for the team and makes everybody else better. I just feel like the mentality of this team is different from what it was last year. And there's, there's a swagger that is growing with them. We started to see it in the second half of the season and we're seeing it now in the postseason. And I think it's only getting bigger. And, and, and I just kind of wanted to, to jump off that point too, with the heat and, you know, I'm watching Bam Adebayo and clearly they've made a, an adjustment on him. Um, you know, again, Bucks adding a guy like Drew Holiday and, and having, the luxury of being able to switch from Holiday to Middleton on Butler. And then you have, you know, Brooke Lopez down low being big, but they didn't have Bobby Portis last year. They didn't have PJ Tucker last year. So they're giving Bam out of bio this space, right? Bam is still kind of in that stuck in between mode to where he doesn't know whether to pull up with, you know, a jumper or to float it over the top. He's just in this middleman ground right now that he can't figure out what decision he wants to make. And he's turning the ball over a lot because of the indecision. Uh, I think that he's got to obviously benefit from this, but he needs to, you know, dig into the film because they're giving him all this room. And if he just practices these mid rangers, he can make teams pay. And, we saw it earlier in the season when Jimmy Butler was, was out with the protocols and stuff. Bam took over for this team, whether they were winning or losing. Offensively, they need to get more out of Bam. Bam needs to recognize that he has all this room to operate, you know, 
it's like what Reggie Miller said on the broadcast TNT. All due respect to him, and he's a veteran, but Dwayne Dedman should not be leading your team in scoring. If Absolutely you not. Game, There's you no want way. Playoffs. And it's funny because the one the one guy that has really played well for the Heat, and we've been kind of wondering if they've been managing him all season to unleash him now, is Goran Dragic. Yep. And Dragic has played well, but it's just the other guys around him have not done enough. And like they got to start him. Yeah, I mean, now they're getting overwhelmed. I mean, I, I'm not saying the Bucks are going to come out and shoot like they did in game two, but, I mean, that game was over, what, eight minutes into it? Something like that. I mean, it was ridiculous. They put up 46 points in the first quarter of that game. This is a day after the Lakers were held to 90 points for the entire game, and another team scored 46 in the first quarter. I mean, is are we living in the same year of the playoffs? I mean, this, <laughs> I love this, this it. Is, this is crazy. I love it, man. It's so fun. I mean, they scored 11 points in the last two minutes. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, like, just making shots, man, making shots. And that's what this Bucks team is, man. And we talked about it before, but Giannis being able to play without the ball, getting him the ball as if, as if he's a big man, you know, it works. And, uh, you know, you don't have to put the ball in his hands all the time. Like he's a forward, uh, obviously, unless you're in transition, then that's another story, but you have Chris Middleton slinging the pill the way he is out on the perimeter. You have, Drew Holiday dishing out 15 dimes. It's a good team, man. It's a really good team. Absolutely. And uh, they're like I said, they're a different team than what we saw last year. And I, I know people are like, well, they've got the tougher road because of being the three seed in the East. You know, you're going to have to go through both Brooklyn and probably Philadelphia as well. But they seem to be up to the challenge so far. I mean, they're – They've come out of the gates very strong. And um, I'm curious to see if they're going to be able to continue that. And uh, I have no reason to believe that they won't. I agree. I agree. Do you want to go over to the West or do you want to finish out uh, what happened on Sunday night? Because Sunday night was magical. Yeah. Finish um, that one out. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Knicks Hawks. Uh, what well, one, what a game. <laughs> game one was was so fun. Uh just the, the energy in Madison square garden was out of this world. And we had a really good perspective from Tommy beer, uh, basketballnews.com. He did a very, very good perspective. Look at what it meant to New York to have this bit of normalcy, normalcy back, but also just the energy in the building, uh, you know, first playoffs and eight something odd years, the, the, the overall atmosphere was Tremendous. And, and it, it came through on the broadcast. Like, you could hear that place going nuts. Like, when Emmanuel quickly took that three and hit it in the second quarter and came flying down the court and, you know, did the kind of like a Jason Terry type of deal, that crowd went nuts. And then you look at the opposite effect, too. When Trey Young did what he did and silenced the crowd, saying it's, it's effing quiet in here and, and embracing that role of the villain and doing his thing, shutting the game down when you needed him to most. Oh man, that was a playoff game. That might've been the game of the weekend. I think it was. And I can't say how impressed I was with, with Trey young. I mean, 
I know he scored a lot more points in some games and whatnot, but to me, I think that's the best game he's played so far as a professional. I mean, to what, because he knew like what the team needs at that moment right now, they need me to distribute right now. They need me to score. He picked the spots. He was in control. He only had two turnovers in this game, but he had 10 assists, 32 points, including big buckets down the stretch and the game winner. And he looked like you, it wasn't Luca esque, but it was, kind of close when it came to a guy that was really controlling a game. The only difference is that this game was a lot closer than what we saw with the Mavericks and the Clippers, but yes. he kept his head about him and he has said, I got this guys. And in the end he did to score 32 points um, and only attempt three threes. That, that is a great sign. And I, I know a lot of people talk about the foul hunting. We've been over this before, Brian, how back and forth we are on his playing style. No disrespect to his game, but the way that he was doing things under Lloyd Pierce, that's changed a little. Um, I think that Nate McMillan has made such an impact on the way he plays, but not only just the way he plays, but the way that the Hawks have played in clutch moments. And you see it, you know, Everyone's talking about the Trey Young moment because of just the magnitude of, of what happened. But can we talk about Bogdan Bogdanovich hitting every response three in that fourth quarter? Especially when Alec Burks was going nuts. Alec Burks was, was having a hell of a game. I, and, he, and he needed to have a hell of a game because Julius Randle was, was having a tough go. And that, that was the biggest disappointment, I think, at the weekend is that Julius Randle struggled so much. It was only six to 23. And I'm going to be very curious to see how he responds because during the regular season, he had his way with the Hawks, but yet he struggled in game one. And, you know, Alec Burks was there to, to kind of pick up the slack. Other guys did even Derek Rose had a good game. Um, Randall has to give them a lot more, a lot more. And now Nerlens Noel is banged up. We'll see, you know, what he's going to be able to do in this game too. Um, but I mean, I, I, I just don't see a way where, unless Atlanta's offense just really starts rolling, that this feels like it's going to be tight games and slugfests back and forth, however many games the series goes. Julius was uncharacteristically timid. And I know that you see the, the, the field goal attempts that he had the most field goal attempts of the game tied with Trey Young, 23. But these weren't, these weren't aggressive field goal attempts, if you know what I mean. Like, he's usually someone to put his head down. He's been very good about controlling his body this year, not getting the charges and whatnot, um, but using his size to do advantage to get in the paint. These were not paint shots. These were a lot of pull-up three or, or pull-up mid-rangers, uh, which he has been making this year. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, the man got to the line twice or, or once and, and only shot two free throws. Uh, that's, not, that's not what Julius Randle does. Julius Randle has completely changed his game uh, to benefit himself getting to the line, uh, you know, spraying out to his teammates and, and all of that good stuff. So... I'm expecting a big response from him personally. Uh, he, he just got the most improved player award. You know, the, the, uh, the energy I'm sure. And the, the morale is going to be fine. You know, it's one game. Uh, you know, they had to be some sort of jitters from everybody for this game because of the atmosphere and the, the stakes. Um, 
if you have positive, you want to take out Derek Rose looked great again. Uh, the rookies were prepared and then some Emmanuel quickly. We just talked about Obi Toppin knocking down a big time three, you know, RJ Barrett cramming on, on Bogdan in the open floor. They'll need more from Reggie Bullock. Um, you know, he missed all five of his threes, but I think that this one, it, this is going to be one of those series that does go to, to seven um, because you have two very like-minded teams with like-minded coaches that are able to, to muck the game up and to, to execute in the half court as we've, you know, kind of highlighted before. And I'd say equally, they have the same amount of experience just from who's on the rosters. Yeah. I, I think the two things I'm interested in when it comes to game two are what's the response from, from Randall, obviously, and what do the Knicks do to try to make Trey Young uncomfortable? What do they do to have to make him work a lot more? If he's going to score 32 points, that's fine. But he can't be doing it on only an 11 to 23. It's like we want him taking 35 shots. You know, we want him to, you know, um, be uncomfortable. You know, make him pay for getting into the lane. Like, what kind of thing is Tibbs going to do? Like, um, you know, are they going to change it up on different possessions where, okay, we're going to send the double immediately. Okay, get the ball out of his hands. Okay, now we're going to send the double the second he puts the ball on the ground. Or we're going to send the double once uh, he gets in the paint. Or we're going to come at him with size a little bit more. Maybe R.J. Barrett defends him, you know, some more. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what the adjustment is going to be on Trey Young for this game. No, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, we only have a few more uh, of these matchups to talk about. I really don't have much to say about the the Philly Washington one. I don't think that uh, one's going to be lasting too much longer. I think I think the Wiz gave a uh, as good of a punch as they can in Game One, but um, I don't think they're going to be able to handle the Sixers. Well, I, I am expecting a much bigger game out of Russell Westbrook on on uh, Wednesday night, but I I just think. Embiid still has to, you know, impose as well. Uh, and he didn't really do that too often in, in game one. Tobias Harris was the star of the, of the show uh, with his 37 points. Uh, you know, Seth Curry was making big shots. And, can I, can and, I say you know, this, they, though? George I, Hill was playing big. Like, Yeah. I, I love the way that Bradley Beal played that game. He just has this kind of cockiness flippantness to his game like hey watch this uh look what i'm doing to you here oh i don't care what you're doing watch this he kind of had this kind of swagger or whatever that was kind of fun to watch kind of like i'm competing here but um yeah i'm not gonna let you get in my head yeah no i i would i would say that as well uh if if i have anything to say about what the wizards need to do and kind of have been pounding this drum for a while now and scott brooks still doesn't seem to to agree with me but I would choose two big men to play and completely leave the other one out. Uh, I would give an opportunity more to a Garrison Matthews or a Chandler Hutchinson to, to play on the wing. Uh, maybe this is the series more for an Alex Len and a Robin Lopez as opposed to a Daniel Gafford. But here's the thing with Gafford. Gafford makes an impact every time he hits the floor. Like, he's faster than a lot of the big guys. He's more athletic than a lot of the big guys. So utilize him. I know that he has foul trouble and he, he tends to be uh, pretty handsy, but the impact he makes on the floor is, 
second to none on this team. So boot one of Alex Len and, and, and Robin Lopez. If it was me, I would boot Alex Len. I would start Robin Lopez and then go with Gafford off the bench just because of the way that he plays. You want to um, see some more hook but, shots. Hey, and they go down. You know that. The, the, the he is shuffle. so crafty. <laughs> that is such like a a game that you see at the Y <laughs> that he's yeah. got, you know? <laughs> it's just like, it's like um, when I, I, I went to UCF and I remember sometimes playing like on the court, you know, in between, like, or when I got done with a class and like some faculty members would be there and they're in their 50s, you know, they got their knees and elbows all taped up and they're putting up shots like that. That's kind of what you're getting here out of Robin Lopez, but he's doing it on a professional level. You got to love it, man. The hook shot starts like at his hip. <laughs> it's amazing. He started one. I thought it was at his ankle. It's amazing. It's amazing. But yeah, that's the one piece of advice I have for the Wizards. And uh, other point there on the, the Sixers, I think that Ben Simmons is going to be just fine on offense. It doesn't have to be this go-to guy that everyone wants him to be. If he wants to play within himself, he's going to get 15 assists and 15 boards. Who the hell cares how many points he has? The, the Sixers have plenty of scorers, so it doesn't matter. And you know how good he is in transition, too. So. That's a moot point. All right. We've got two more series to talk about, and then we'll get out of here. All right. Let's let's hit on Denver-Portland, since we have two of those games going now. Um, again, a, a solid response by the Nuggets um, to the Blazers, despite Damian Lillard hitting eight threes in one quarter. <laughs> uh, wrote an article on that, basketballnews.com, by the way. Uh, basically, Detailing Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, and maybe Trey Young are the only ones that have this free range beyond 30 feet or more. Um, if you look at some of the stats, too, it's actually quite interesting uh, at who attempts the most. But in this series, what I'm liking the most, and I don't think enough people have talked about yet, at least uh, from what I've read and what I've kind of scanned on the timeline is the impact that Aaron Gordon has made. I think Aaron Gordon has starred in his role. I think he's not trying to do too much. I think he's in the right spots at the right time. Uh, I have been a big fan of what Aaron Gordon has brought to the table in this series. I agree with you. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for is to see Aaron Gordon play this kind of ball and meaningful games. And he's able to do that. There's a freedom that he has with Denver where he can kind of do all these little things to make everybody kind of work better together. You know, that game one, it just kind of felt like, you know, Portland was a little bit more ready. Um, and they came out and just kind of took it to the nuggets and the nuggets you had the mellow factor too. My mellow yeah. hit his first, like five threes against them, uh, in game one. And, you know, like he didn't have that same success in game two, but, uh, I agree with you. Continue. But I mean, they, they, for the Nuggets, I just don't think they were amped up enough or prepared enough on, on defense and the, the Blazers just took it right to them. And then in game two, it was the other way around. The Nuggets said, no, we're the better team. We're going to take it to you. And they were able to, you know, get a lot more points. You know, I mean, that second quarter alone, they put up 42, they put up, you know, 73 points in the first half of that game. And, um, they, just we're able to control the Blazers. And that that's more of what we're used to seeing, you know, from the Nuggets. And we'll see if the pendulum swings a little bit here again as we go to Portland now for game three. 
or, you know, what, what team are we going to get from the nuggets? And I, I think that's one of the things too, with, without Jamal Murray, there is kind of the guy that's, you know, their point guard and their leader in a lot of ways. What are we going to get from the nuggets on a game to game basis? And that that's part of the intrigue. I think I have in the series. We know on the other side, we got Damian Lillard. They're going to be back at home. You know, the Blazers are going to come out. They're going to be gunning. It's just, what's the response going to be from the nuggets? Yes. And you know, I, I think they'll we'll do some strengths for, for each team for, for the nuggets and their part. I think that Monte Morris has filled in tremendously. Um, I know he's not starting, but he's playing more minutes than Austin rivers who is starting. Um, Paul Millsap has given them so much life off the bench and just these 15 minute performances, um, you know, just, just being that physical presence, getting the rebounds, uh, making the right next pass. I, I think Paul's been great. Uh, I have to, to bring this up because he doesn't get much playing time. And I don't know if he's going to get playing time the rest of the series, but when Dame Lillard was having his uh, epiphany in the second quarter, uh, they brought Shaq Harrison in and he shot him, he shut him down for like two straight possessions. Um, didn't let him get the ball, uh, you know, turned it over. Uh, I, I, I'm a huge proponent for Shaq Harrison. And if he's getting 10 minutes a game, the rest of the series, then so be it because he is such a presence on the defensive end of the floor um, that, that I think that they can use him, especially in a matchup like this. Um, we know that Facu, Facundo Capazzo is an irritant. You know, we were, we were, making jokes at the beginning of the year, uh, you and I on this podcast uh, about Faku and, and, and how fun he was, but he's playing some big time minutes for this team right now. And he's, he's getting steals. He's flopping and, and getting calls for the other side. Just kidding. Uh, even though it was a little bit of a flop, uh, some of the assists that he's had have, have been like, tremendous. So, you know, they've got a, a good, a good flow and mojo going on right now. And, you know, Michael Porter, he, he's been aggressive. He wasn't quite as aggressive as you think he would be uh, in game two. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he's done more than enough uh, on the defensive end to uh, justify him playing the minutes that he has. And you know that Michael Porter Jr. is going to have one of these games, uh, possibly on the road, where he puts up over 20 shots. So um, I, I think they're in good shape. The Blazers is worrying me a little bit, and and here's why. Um, they, when Yusuf Nurkic is out, and he did fall out this game, by the way, um, they need to do something else than go to Ennis Cantor at this moment. I'm not saying Ennis Cantor is just like an unplayable guy, or uh, you know, is is a bad player. I just think this is a really bad matchup for him. Uh, and he's not able to keep up with the, the, the smaller guards and the, the quicker guards that they have uh, pick and roll. He's getting just destroyed in, uh, and that's been a staple of his career. Uh, I think that maybe you try a Harry Giles or a Rondé Hollis Jefferson and go smaller. Um there's there's got to be a rotational difference here for Terry Stotts uh, in this particular series. Um, notice that they played Derek Jones Jr. Tried him a, a, a hand. He just kind of got booted from the rotation towards the end of the year. And, you know, he was one of their better players when they were playing well at the beginning of the season. Uh, 
you know, CJ McCollum wasn't uh, nearly as, as aggressive as, as he usually is. Uh, Robert Covington until the like end of the fourth quarter had zero points and had played like 35 minutes and, you know, like just turned the ball over four times. Like defensively, he is huge. Don't get me wrong. Like to, to have that little of offensive production and have the best plus minus on your team is something uh, or of your, of your uh, starting five is something, but I need more out of him offensively. I need him to take more open shots or put it on the floor. Uh, you know, Norm, Norm Powell tried Norm, Norm Powell tried his damnedest. Um, but yeah, they, they, they need uh, some sort of a, a change. And you know, that it's going to come when they're in Portland and, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard fired shots up. You know that's going to happen in game three. But I'm just, from an observational standpoint, this is what I'm looking at. One of the biggest problems to me that the Blazers have is that they only play one style of ball with the, with the roster that they have. The Nuggets, they can play in a couple of different ways that they want to go big, if they want to go smaller. They have some more adjustments they can make when it comes to their roster makeup. And Will Barton too, by the way, uh, might be on his way back in a, in, in a short time. Yeah, and so that'll be a big a help. Thing. That'll be a big help. But so to me, it's just can the Blazers put up enough offense to beat the Nuggets? And that that's the only way they can go. It's got to be we're putting up a lot of points because I just don't see them getting stops. It's like can we can we run and gun more than the Nuggets and get just enough stops and make just enough shots? To where we can outscore them because they they're not going to suddenly become a defensive minded team that that's going to shut them down or come even close to it that there's one way that they play and i think that's that's where the problem is now the good thing for them though is they've got an incredible backcourt with dame and cj so they've got a fighting chance but that that's what it is and you know, we'll see if the Nuggets can keep this up, you know, when it comes to game three after, you know, we're tied now in one game apiece. But, you know, it just feels like the Nuggets have more weapons. But it comes down to will the Blazers shoot well enough to where they can pull out some wins here. Right. And and quick note, last thing on this series. Um, and it, it actually kind of applied to the Lakers-Suns game too. Uh, the officiating uh, in these playoffs has driven me nuts. Um, <laughs> particularly they called two flagrant fouls, one on, on Carmelo Anthony for a small little shove on a, on a pick and roll. Okay. They called a flagrant one on that. And then they called a flagrant one on CJ McCollum when Faku Compazzo uh, blatantly, like I mentioned earlier, <laughs> flopped uh, after, you know, it was during a dead ball and Faku actually landed on, on uh, Jokic's ankle. So that could have been drastic but they called two flagrants on that. And uh, I'm starting to think we need to rethink the flagrant uh, concept and uh, maybe consider something an intentional foul or a technical foul. But when it's not directly related to the game, you can't call a flagrant. And also, uh, in the case of Mello, uh, giving a nice little love tap to somebody on a uh, pick and roll, that's not a damn flagrant. Come on, get out of your feelings. It's nothing. No one's hurt. It's the playoffs, for goodness sake. Stop doing that crap. So do you think that Anthony Davis should have been given a flagrant for his um, kick south of the border? Okay. It reminded me of the Draymond Green stuff. Um, 
The Draymond Green thing, saying- though, felt a little bit more intentional. And I think that AD just kicked out his foot. And it just so happened that his foot is long enough. His big toe. Wrong, wrong place at the wrong time for yeah. Jake Crowder. <laughs> and he gave him a literal love tap. Okay. Yeah. And dude. I didn't I didn't agree with the flagrant call because that meant he was one tech away from getting tossed. Right. I mean, I thought but, definitely it was deserved a call, but not a flagrant necessarily because yeah, but we need to rethink like it was that. intentional. Like there was a kick out, there needed to be something there, but I didn't know if it rose to that level. That's the next change we need to see in the NBA. The, the flagrants are getting they're way over doing the the response to the malice of the palace. Okay. Like it's been what 15 years? No, more than that. 17 years. Is that what? Something like that. It's been a long freaking time, almost two decades. Stop putting bubble wrap around these players. Okay. It's enough. Stop with the flagrants. Call them something else, but they're not flagrant fouls. I'll say this, man, that, that, uh, that game too, between the Lakers and Suns, that was a feisty game, and that was playoff. It was. That's feisty, but that's what that's what it should be. It's just I, I found it hilarious. See, in 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 the game, when it comes to from the beginning of a game to the end of the game, do we get that kind of consistency? And right. I thought we got it in that game. And I, I'm glad that you know no one got hurt, but I'm I found it hilarious when campaign was streak streaking down the floor and trying to commit a foul on Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis barely felt it. He like. <laughs> Tried to bear hug him, and Anthony Davis didn't even move. Well, and the uh, thing but, was too, like he was trying to take him down, and then afterwards, like Cam kind of put his arms around him, and AD just kind of tapped him in the chest and was like, "Yeah, man, we're playing hard." No, he goes, "I thought you were going to do that. That's all good." I mean, mind you, Campaign is playing this entire game with like a freaking shiner. You know, he's oh yeah, he's he's, he's got a black eye. This his right eye is you know black and blue from game one. <laughs> no doubt no doubt all right well let's wrap this up with the last series the actual series that has now caught a lot of people's eyes because of the thing called momentum the utah jazz the top seed in the entire nba against the memphis grizzlies hungry and determined they are fun to watch in your grill 24-7. They went in to Salt Lake City and took game one. And on Wednesday night, they're going to try and go up 2-0. I don't see it happening, but I'm going to say this right now. Memphis is not a team that you will out-physical. No, you will not. And there's a couple of big things that are going to happen in this game in that Utah is going to get their star point guard back and Donovan Mitchell, who's got a chip on his shoulder because he thought he was going to play in game one and he's ticked off. But the other thing is too, are you going to get a jazz team that, you know, throws up as many threes as anybody in the league shooting 25% from deep? Because if, if you get that, if they can't shoot, then you got a fighting chance. But even if they shoot 30% and typically the jazz shoot much better than that, even from deep, then, um, then, then the Grizzlies will be in this. I mean, they're, they're going to, they're going to fight, you know, they're going to scrap, but you know, Utah typically is not going to have a game where they shoot as bad as they did in game one. Right. And that's the context of the situation you have to bring into it. Look what happened when Bojan Bogdanovic got going in the second half. That's when things started getting a little pressing, right? But credit to John Morant, John Morant just did his thing again, going inside, floating these team, 
to victory. Like he, he did the same thing in Golden State, even though he didn't really have it going too much from from the, the you know the, the the field as far as field goal percentage goes. I know he was taking a lot of shots, but some of them he missed. But it was the the response they kept having on the other end. Dylan Brooks would would not miss in the third quarter of this game, and the, you know the second quarter run that they made. Uh, Kyle Anderson was was huge. Like they they definitely have this like belief within their team that they're not this eight seed underdog. They're the ones that are going to be doing the punching, and the Jazz are going to have to realize that. And I think with John Donovan Mitchell coming back, that is definitely uh, a boost to the Jazz. But they're also going to have to adjust to it. I mean, the Grizz, I mean, you look at their guys and nobody's backing down from anybody, whether it's John Morant or whether it's Dylan Brooks, who I don't think there's anybody in the league that plays with a chip on their shoulder more than he does, whether it's Desmond. Dylan Bain. Brooks is a crazy man. He is a crazy man. Desmond Bain will just, he looks like he will fight you anywhere at any time. And he's, he's welcoming it. Like, come on, let's go. You know, they're not even playing Justin Winslow in this series. And in that first game, mind you, as bad as Utah shot, you know what? Xavier Tillman, who came up with a big shot, you know, in their win against the Warriors in the playing game, he only played eight minutes and he contributed nothing other than a couple of rebounds in this game and missing three shots. So, you know, if they get something better from him, I mean, they're, they're definitely going to need it. They're going to, they need it anywhere they can get it, you know, because Utah like I said, I don't expect them to shoot that bad again, but you know, the Grizz need more and they need it for more people. I mean, that's great what they're getting from, from John Moran and from Dylan Brooks, but they need some more people, especially guys off the bench to contribute a little bit more. Cause I don't, I don't think that 19 off the bench is going to cut it. Not against the team as, as deep as the jazz. And, and again, you look at game flow and you, you bring the context of the situation into this. Once the Jazz started making their threes, that's when the Grizzlies started to press a little. And that's when they needed John Morant to hit those floaters and Dylan Brooks to hit those, those mid-rangers. You know, like that, that's what happened. So, you know, is Kyle Anderson going to get six deals again tonight? That, uh, I don't know. Uh, by the way, I, I've enjoyed so much watching Kyle Anderson. Just that, that fast break he had, or, or I don't even know if you could consider it a fast break, uh, where he was waltzing down the court after a steal. <laughs> um, he took probably like, I, I don't even know how much time, but it was one of the funniest and methodical uh, fast breaks that I've ever seen. Well, the it, best it, thing it is like somebody like Giannis can go from baseline to baseline in like six dribbles and like 2.4 seconds. And then slow-mo's out there with like 40 steps in 18.9 <laughs> seconds. It's something else. It's something else. It's hilarious. And and also, by the way, uh, for the Jazz, in in addition to that, uh, in this series, Jordan Clark is not going to go zero for eight again uh, from three. It's not no, happening. he so, he definitely not. He's going to probably get hot at some point. You know, like, yeah. So uh, all the, way, the overreactions with this. What a great moment too of him getting that six man trophy, and yes. Joe Ingles giving it giving him the award. I mean, that, that was um, very well done. Though The way the NBA has done the awards so far this postseason between that or even Julius Randle's son bringing out his trophy with the whole team there, that has been uh, exceptional work by the NBA. Yes, yes. And 
far more entertaining than the show, I think. So, you know, doing it in this kind of uh, subtle way uh, where it's it's a cool moment, but also not too, you know, overly glamoury or glitzy. I think they've done a good job. Would you have fallen asleep during a studio show so far if you were part of that panel? <laughs> no comment. No, no, no comment. I'll tell you what, who would be there to uh, hit you with the cattle prod is Nikias Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, okay, so let's let's make our our uh... before. Well, yeah, let me throw this one out there. As we wrap up here, what team has changed your mind the most in what we've seen so far? And I know it's early in the first round, but is there a team that has changed your mind the most on how well you think they will do, or how well you think they will not do when it comes to this first round in the playoffs? Uh not do Miami do Dallas. I would say not do. I would agree on. And those are obvious ones because they're both that, you know, one's down Oh two and the other one's up to Oh, like, right. But uh, truly um, I think those are, those are my answers. I, I would say Miami and the other team, this might sound weird. But I would say Brooklyn for doing well because I have not believed in Brooklyn because I've always thought like there's going to be some chemistry holes and, you know, what's going to go on with these guys. Maybe some of it is because they're facing a Celtics team that is just undermanned and a, it's a really bad matchup for Boston. But just to see the way that Brooklyn has been on cruise control so far, maybe that's not even a good thing for them. Maybe they need to be a little bit more battle tested. I don't know. But to see how easy they've made it look so far has been impressive. It has. It has. Well, Brian, I think that should do it for us today. Uh, we've got quite a bit to look forward to uh, in a week. Maybe some series will be over. Who knows? Uh, but uh, we'll still be well into the first round. And uh, looking forward to continuing our playoff talk. I think this was really fun and really uh, engaging uh, conversations about all of uh, the series that that are underway um, so yeah that'll do it for us uh, we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network nine other great podcasts for you to listen to make sure you go check them out we have the new ones out uh, such as the rex chapman show who just had jamal crawford on what a great guy what a fun player to watch um, so make sure to check that out on our youtube page uh, and wherever you listen to podcasts leave a comment like subscribe Neat and Unfiltered with Kenya Martin and Jada Kiss. You got the Pose Cast with James Posey, Dishes and Dines with the Ladies, the Rematch with the Tom Thomas, the Dunker Spot, one of the hottest podcasts in sports today, not just basketball, with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. The Alex Kennedy Podcast with Alex Kennedy, the Sheridan Show, the Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, the Follow Through with Clips and Drew, NBA Top Shot Weekly with Alex Kennedy as well, where he has a bunch of guests from the crypto world and also the NBA world. So make sure you check that out. And of course you got us right here. Your boys keeping it 94 Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at spin Davies. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at spin Davies. You can find him on Instagram at it's Brian Fritz. Make sure to leave us a comment, subscribe, review us, leave us some sort of feedback so we can definitely get back to you and create conversation and maybe who knows we'll do that on the pot 
what we enjoy doing. We like to talk until we until we want to uh, do other things such as sleep because we have three hours of sleep. So with that said, everyone have a fantastic day, evening, whatever it is uh, that you are when you're listening to this. And uh, enjoy the rest of the postseason. We'll talk to you next week. I'm going to bed and enjoying some more playoffs.